Yo, what's good? My name is Drake Demore, and you're listening to Wind City Sports, Windsor's only local sports radio program and podcast on CJM 99.1 FM, where we are now reaching higher ground in Windsor and Detroit. New episodes of Wind City Sports drop here on CJM every Thursday, live at 8 p.m. Replays are now on Fridays at 4.30 p.m. You can hear all of our old shows on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and much more. We'll talk all about that at the end of the show, as we normally do. Today is July 6, 2018, and it is episode 103 of Wind City Sports. Time is flying, June is over, and I am back from Italy. I'm back in Windsor, back in Canada. And what a time it was, obviously. I got to see the country, uh, travel around, have some fun, see where my family is from, but I also got to go and see uh, Sports Stadia, a stadium of the ACF Florentina. They play over at the Stadio Artemio Franchi. It was all closed up for the season, but I got to go around and kind of peek in, check it out, take a few pictures. And one thing that I was amazed to see was a uh, whole block full on the um, on the fencing outside, full of, full of scarves and, and jerseys and signs saying Ciao Capitano. Uh, I didn't really understand why uh, they had all this out there. I thought maybe their captain had been traded or something. It did seem like uh, you know, something bad had happened. And then talking to some people... Um, in Italy, it unfortunately turned out that their uh, captain indeed did pass away. David Astori uh, suddenly died at the age of 31 in March of uh, this year. Uh, very similar, actually, to Mickey Reno's uh, passing. Uh, obviously, not the same situation in regards to the discovery of it. Uh, I guess they went away for a game and uh, he didn't wake up when he went to sleep. But it was a similar cardiac arrest sort of thing that uh, Mickey Reno had experienced, which I thought was kind of ironic and. Uh, just the, the the love that they poured out for him on the street there was pretty breathtaking. From them, from there, I started traveling around and just walking around trying to find some stuff. There was a rugby complex next door. And if you had seen on the Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, me and my brother went and trained some jiu-jitsu in Rome at uh, Flow Jiu-Jitsu with Andre Vertimer and all of his students. And uh, they had mentioned there's actually a tournament in Florence that weekend, and we happened to uh, be there as part of the tour. So I thought, you know, I'll come check it out one day um, and my plan was just to go and check out the stadium and walk around and then I seen some guys with some tatami shirts on it's a uh, MMA uh, gear company a uh, clothing company apparel so I decided to go in and there it is is the giant tournament at the Nelson Mandela Forum a beautiful arena got to walk around and take some pictures you see all the all the events that they've had there not a lot of sports stuff but they had some basketball all-star games some boxing wwe and went there once but even a ton of concerts i can't even begin to name all the people that have been there like brian adams tina turner queen oasis uh just bob dylan just uh, the posters that they had on there, green day uh, lenny kravitz it just goes on and on and on it was unbelievable and such a beautiful arena it was indoor soccer field and although italy wasn't in the world cup soccer is huge there that's their their pride and joy right there. So that's a lot of the sports stuff I've seen. There's a lot of kids playing soccer and a lot of sport or soccer apparel uh, and stuff like that. But it was cool to kind of check out some arenas and see how they live life. But enough of that. We're going to get into this week's episode now. This week's guest is from right here in Windsor, Ontario, a former Detroit Tiger and a current Toronto Blue Jays analysis on Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet. It's Joe Siddle. We talk all about his uh, playing career 
Uh, growing up in Windsor, playing for his favorite team, his almost hometown team, the Detroit Tigers, um, and, and so much more in regards to his playing career. Then we talk about his transition into base, or sorry, into broadcasting. Talk a little bit how the game has changed since he's been playing and how it's constantly evolving. His son is playing in the minor leagues now and uh, how that um, how that connects with him uh, being obviously a former pro ball player. So this is a great episode that all baseball fans are going to want to hear and that a lot of Windsor sport fans are going to want to hear from Mr. Joe Sill. It's a cool little icebreaker at the beginning of the interview, actually, because uh, we kind of go back a little bit. Uh, I played hockey with his son and uh, know his nephew pretty well, so it's cool to kind of break the ice with that. Um, so if uh, you listen to the radio version of this on CJAM, uh, I got to cut out a little bit about him uh, talking about his son and, and the icebreaker as well and just some other things. Uh, to fit it into our half-hour slot on C-Gem. So here you're going to hear the entire interview in its full uh, entirety, uh, completely uncut and unedited. And we're also going to skip the C-Gem PSA that we always play on the radio. So right now we're going to get right into the interview with Joe Siddle. Here we go. All right, to get started, just a little uh, icebreaker. Going back way uh, a little while ago, um, about 18 years ago, my first hockey year, I played with your son, actually. I think it would have been Brett, because I'm, okay. I'm a 93, and you were one of All our right. coaches. Um, Come on. With Joe oh my Passa. God. Oh, my God. Are you serious? You know yeah, yeah. Holy cow. That's going way back. Yeah, my dad was one of the coaches, too. That's uh, hilarious. We, yeah, we played at Adstall Arena all the time. Sure. Yeah, and then... Oh. Even funnier, about 14 years after that, 2014, I started working at the WFCU with your nephew, Derek. Oh, Derek. How's Derek? <laughs> <laughs> what a beauty. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with him over the last little while. That's great. Yeah, so it's just kind of funny that uh, we have a little bit of a history and sure. don't really know it, I guess. Yes, so, exactly. First off, thanks, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, man. So I'm uh, just going to start with a little bit about yourself. Growing up in Windsor, were you always involved in baseball or were you playing other sports too? Played every sport. I uh, grew up in South Windsor, and um, I think I tell people now that my fondest memories being a kid, they were playing all the different sports. And, you know, in summer, I played baseball and hockey. I played, or in winter, I played hockey. Um, as I got a little bit older, I played basketball in high school as well, but a lot of time as a kid at Central Park, playing home run derby and doing all those fun things throughout the day. And, uh, you know, we laugh now because we don't see that as much anymore. Obviously, there are many different distractions for kids, but absolutely, I played uh, played a variety of sports, and I, I still look back, that being uh, probably my fondest memory of being a youngster in South Windsor. That's cool, man. A lot, of, Obviously, a lot of guys in Canada, especially here in Windsor, uh, um, to play hockey, so obviously most people have that experience. But where did you play ball growing up? Grew up in uh, South Windsor, so I played South Windsor minor baseball right at Central Park. And I, I started on the Little Diamond, which back in those days it was called Tyke, and then moved over to the bigger diamond, which was Pee Wee, and then the biggest diamond was Bantam. And it was almost like that progression as you grew up. You moved around the park, which was pretty cool. Um, probably when I, when I look back at where it all started, I have a brother, Jim, two years older than me, and we played tyke together, even though there was a two-year disparity, and he would pitch the first four innings I would catch, and then I would pitch the last three, and he would catch oftentimes. So that's pretty fun to look back on, and I've told that story many times because that's the that's probably the grassroots. That's where it all started on that small diamond just by the tennis courts of Central Park. 
it's cool, man. It's cool that it happened right here in Windsor, and then obviously you made it to the big leagues. But uh, just growing up as a fan, were you were you a Tigers fan, Jays fan, or what? Diehard Tigers fan. Yeah, <laughs> I came from pretty well a Tigers family, and it's funny now being in Toronto. A lot of people ask me that question, and they're a little bit surprised when I say that. But really, just geographically, when you're so close to Detroit, I tell them that mm-hmm. those are the games that we were able to go to. And I was fortunate to come from a big family as the youngest of nine kids, and my older brothers used to take us to Tiger games as kids and um, to see big league ball games. I mean, geez, a lot of kids didn't get that opportunity, but since in those days, Tiger stadium was right across the river. We were very fortunate to have them bring us to a lot of games and probably continue to inspire us as young baseball fans. But yes, diehard Tiger fan. And uh, I think most of my family still is, even though I'm in Toronto, <laughs> I'm trying to sway my mother because she wants to be on TV now, but I don't think it'll happen. <laughs> but I think too, when, uh, when I think of growing up as a Tiger fan, it was very cool, too, because not only did I get to go to a lot of games, but because you're following them, and probably like any kid, you, you kind of have those those guys that you really look up to. And for me, it was Lance Parrish as I grew up a little bit, and I'll never forget having the plastic giveaway helmet. I don't even know if they still do those <laughs> souvenir helmets but that you actually wear. And I... With, with little uh, whiteout liquid paper, I put the, the number 13 on the back because I wanted to pretend I was Lance Parrish. And then I actually wore it to one of my peewee games at Central Park, and I tried to get away with it because, of course, it's not a protective helmet. And the umpire didn't know until I took a foul tip and it absolutely shattered on top of my head. <laughs> so, I mean, those are, those are fun things to look back on because, you know, when you ask about growing up as a Tiger fan, that's one of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, being a catcher and, of course, looking up to Lance Parrish. That's cool, man. That's cool how it all kind of transpired, too. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, like you started um, playing minorly, like you talked about, but uh, probably eventually moved into travel or wherever you were playing. Did it kind of just spark and you kind of ran with it, or was it like, I want to be in the in the show one day? Was that your, kind of your uh, goal? or you, just kind of? No, it was, it was not that at all. And it's funny, um, when I look back at, you know, baseball specifically, playing South Windsor Minor Baseball at Central Park and graduating from the Tyke to Pee Wee to Bantam Diamonds. And then, so I guess when you're a decent player, the older groups might ask you to come up and play with them. And I think that's when I first got called up to play at the Midget Windsor Selects. And, of course, everyone was, Bernie Sawyer ran the Selects program. He's very involved with Lee Not I think it was South Windsor Minor Baseball. So they all knew one another. I think some players would go up. And then I actually became a base to be Midget and uh, kind of went through the Windsor Select program. But my answer to that is absolutely not. As I said, as a kid, I played different sports. Just It was really the joy and fun of, of getting outside and playing all these different sports. And even when I went to high school, I went to Assumption and played football in the fall and then basketball in the winter and then baseball in the spring and all the way through the summer with the Selects. But at no time, even really throughout my high school career, was I thinking about professional baseball or a scholarship. And it was one day, we were out on the football field, my, my last year of high school, and Jeff Owen, my football coach, came up to me on the practice field one day, and he said, what would you think of going to the States if you were offered a football scholarship? And back then, I mean, you got to remember, the times were very different. This is, what, 1987, I guess? And you just you weren't thinking about it. And, you know, now it seems like kids are thinking about scholarships or their parents are in grade seven and eight <laughs> for college. But I, uh, I was shocked by it. And he said, well, there's some people looking at you and he said, Central Michigan University may be interested. So long story short, I got offered a full-ride football scholarship to be a quarterback at Central Michigan University. 
but uh, did I did I go for that? Absolutely not. I, I was just blindsided by the offer, and of course I graciously accepted, and I went over to Central Michigan. But then I was redshirted as a freshman quarterback. I was just there the one year. I played in the spring game in April. Um, the, the previous year's quarterback had graduated, so there was myself and one other guy who was a year ahead of me, and we were going to probably be fighting for the starting spot next fall. But I came home in the summer and played baseball with the select like I always had, and I was approached by the Montreal Expos to come out to a local camp. I did that, and I guess I had a good couple of days, and they offered me a professional baseball contract. So similar story to my football scholarship offer. I, I was floored by it. Like, I, wasn't, I wasn't even really thinking. I thought I was just going out to play baseball for a couple of days for the heck of it. And now I get offered a professional baseball contract. So that was difficult. Lots of decisions to have and things going through my head to decide what I was going to do because I was supposed to be back at school in about two weeks, middle of August, to report back. Two-a-day football practices were going to be starting up and then classes a couple of weeks after that. So uh, after pondering it for about a week, I decided that, uh, you know, baseball certainly was always in, in terms of playing, but I, again, I never thought of playing professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, people ask me what sport I liked more, and I still to this day say I liked whatever was in season. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, but anyway, I, I chose to, to pursue the professional baseball route, but in doing that, I had to contact my coaches at Central Michigan University did literally say I'm not going to be there in a couple of weeks because I'm not coming back to school. So that was very difficult. And um, I, I initially called my quarterback's coach and talked to him. And it didn't go well, as you can imagine. But I was 19 years old, I think, at the time on the phone and just explaining to him what had transpired and that I made my decision. So he went on for about 15 minutes telling me what a bad decision I was making and how I was making a mistake. And the chances of making a baseball are slim and none. And he was right. But after that, he put me on the phone with the head coach of the university, of the football team, and um, he did the same thing. <laughs> and then he put me on the phone with the athletic director of the university. So I had three kind of pretty tough conversations there. But in the end, I was I was done with that, and I was pursuing my professional baseball career. That's cool, man. I never would have imagined that. that uh, that's it was how it tough. Unfolded. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure, definitely the, the latter half of your story there when you're talking about uh, telling uh, Central Michigan that you're, yeah. you're done. That was probably very... Uh, well, and you can imagine uh, you're one of the two guys vying for the starting quarterback job, yeah. and two weeks before camp opens, the guy tells you that you're not com- he's not coming back. So I knew that, you know, I, I think I felt bad about the decision in the sense that I knew I was doing it for selfish reasons, and I didn't think that that was my character. But really, that's what I was doing, and um, that's probably why I felt bad leaving them. But at the same time, I did have to look out because I thought if I had a chance to play professional baseball ever, that this might be the one time. Because when I was at Central Michigan, I got a call from the baseball coach in the spring and asked if I was going to come out with the baseball team. And I would have loved to, but it was a full-ride football scholarship, so they kind of control you. And spring football is pretty important for a young quarterback. So maybe my junior year or later on, I might have been able to play baseball there, but uh, one never knows. That's crazy, man. Who would have known and you know what could have been, right? Um, exactly. So we talked about growing up in Windsor, being a Tigers fan. Um, your story getting to the to the baseball pros is, is incredible. <laughs> but uh, your career there spanned 10 years between the minors and majors, uh, ending it off with the Tigers, your favorite team, almost your hometown team. What was it like to play so close to home and, like I said, just being a Tiger fan your whole life? Well, it was truly a dream come true. And when I reflect back and people ask me, you know, some of the highlights of my career, things that I look back on, I think first and foremost, making it to the major league 
that was with the Montreal Expos, mm-hmm. and then your first major league hit, and then your first major league home run, which was actually as a Tiger at Tiger Stadium. So to be able to play in the major league and live at home, I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. Yeah, and it was only for part of a season, but yeah, it was pretty special. And I'll never forget when I signed with the Tigers, I signed in, uh, I, was a, I was a free agent, and I had talked to my agent. I heard on the radio, I was driving the car, and I heard on the radio that the Blue Jays made, or sorry, the Tigers made a deal. I think they traded their catcher, whether it was Matt Wallback or whatever it was. They traded catcher, and I just thought, you know, there's always a domino effect. And I just became a minor league free agent. So I called my agent, and I said, you know, do me a favor and reach out to the Tigers. I thought I was just taking a shot in the dark because I knew it was getting to the latter part of my career. And I said, give it a shot and see if there's any interest. And I didn't know if there would be. Well, he called me the next morning, and the first thing he said to me, he said, do you want to be a Tiger? And I said, are you kidding me? He said, yes, they would love to sign you to a minor league deal. And I just remember thinking, oh, my goodness. So I was signing a minor league deal with the Tigers and going to big league camp. And that moment itself was, I just thought, I can't imagine I'm going to walk into the clubhouse in Lakeland for the team that I have grown up cheering for since I was a little boy. And the first day I was in big league camp with the Tigers, I was in the clubhouse, and from around the corner, I heard this voice. And you may be too young to know this, but it was the voice of Ernie Harwell. And, of course, I grew up listening to him on the radio, and I heard Ernie's voice around the corner. I think I stopped what I was doing, and I just looked in that direction, and then suddenly Ernie comes from around the corner. And I think my heart just skipped a couple of beats because, you know, he was the legendary broadcaster for the Tigers, and uh, what a wonderful man after I got to meet him and know him. So a lot of special moments there because of all of the rich history. Willie Horton's in spring training, and Al Kaline is in spring training. And these are these are all the names that I, I grew up and, and certainly remember the rich history of Tigers baseball. And now I was putting on that jersey with the old English D. So yes, indeed, it was pretty special. It's so cool, man, obviously being a Tigers fan also, being growing up in Windsor. It's so cool, such a cool story. And towards the end of your, your career in around the same time was the end of Tiger Stadium too so I'm sure that was somewhere that you always wanted to play uh, regardless of what team but this time being a Tiger. Yeah I got to play in Tiger Stadium and I'm so grateful that they didn't have a new ballpark before I retired because to be able to go to the games as a kid as I said when the brothers used to bring us and watch Tiger Stadium and it's again it was one of those wonderful old ballparks kind of like Fenway Park and Wrigley Field now there aren't many of them left and to to go to that place so often as a kid and watch your heroes playing and then to actually get to play in the in the same stadium and bump my head on the same dugout as Ty Cobb <laughs> that was that was pretty cool and it is where I hit my only major league home run so that'll uh, forever hold a piece close to my heart in terms of my Limited major league offensive success. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool, man. That's too cool. So obviously, after your um, playing career, life started to happen. And uh, where did you ever miss the game at all? Um, you know, I don't know that I missed the the everyday grind of the game. I I, I could have played a lot longer. I retired relatively young. I think I was yeah. just thirty two, turning thirty three. But it was because my wife Tamara and I we had four children at the time. And it was just getting to the point. I signed my last year in 2000. I signed a minor league deal with the Red Sox. And I was in AAA Pawtucket. And I remember even then, I was thinking, you know, things are getting busy at home. And, and she was home work, but Tamara was home working. And, 
trying to handle the four kids, and I just thought, you know, do I really want to keep doing this back and forth? It'd be easier if you were just a straight major leaguer, but that wasn't the case for me. I was up and down, up and mm-hmm. down, yeah. and a lot of it is down and in the minor leagues, and it's difficult. And I remember that winter thinking, okay, I'm a minor league free agent. I'm not going to pursue anything, but if I get a phone call, I will see what it entails. And sure enough, first day I was a minor league free agent, I think it was early November, I get a call from the Boston Red Sox, and they want to sign me to a minor league deal. They wanted a veteran-type catcher in AAA in Pawtucket, and he invited me to big league camp. So I thought, you know, it's probably meant to be. I should go for it. So I did, and I went to big league camp with the Red Sox. But then it was around 1st of June where I was kind of playing part-time, and it just got to the point where it was difficult with me being so far away and not getting home a lot because I was so far away. That, uh, you know, I think you'll hear players often say in their careers, you know, when, when you start to lose that fire. And I think, I don't know that I was losing the fire for baseball, but I was losing the fire for not being around home and my wife and my children. So it was getting very difficult. So I decided early June, first week of June, uh, one day, my wife and I talked about it for a few days. So I was going to go into the ballpark to retire and um, take it home. And I, Went in the ballpark early that day to go do that, pack up my stuff, and I looked, and the lineup card was already posted, and I was playing. So I thought, well, I'm not going to say anything right now. I'll play my last game, and then I'll come in after the game and talk to my manager and let them know, let the Red Sox know. Well, wouldn't you know it, I caught that night, and I caught Tomo Oka, and he threw a perfect game. I caught my only perfect game of my career, and it turned out to be the last game of my career. So what a way to go out. Yeah, it was a little um, – it, it was – a little awkward after the game because, of course, I wanted to inform them that I was going home, but there was a big celebration and everybody's <laughs> happy and celebrates, so I didn't want to rain on that parade. So I just kind of celebrated with everyone, and then I came back in early the next day and did it, and I headed home. And, I, you know, when I, when I came home, it was early June, as I said, so it turned out to be a great time because I had all summer with the kids, and it was just perfect timing. And when I look back, it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, do I miss the game? Absolutely. I, I think all of us think we can play the game till we're 50 years old. You know, <laughs> we know that's not true, but it's a it's a very difficult cord to cut. It really is, and I'm I'm sure many players would say the same thing. When you do something for so long, and, and not just at the amateur level and doing it for fun, but when you do it professionally and you're doing it for a living, and you're continuing. The player that I was was I wasn't good enough to be in the major leagues consistently. So I was always battling back and forth. I always felt that I had the defensive abilities to play in the major leagues for a long time, but the hitting just didn't catch up to that. And that's frustrating. That is so frustrating because you work hard at it, you work hard at it, and it just doesn't come to be. So I, uh, I, I think I retired at the right time, and I was able to enjoy that with my, with my wife and, and our children. Absolutely, and imagine if you would have pursued football. There's a lot more longevity in baseball. So, yeah, that's right. That's Who knows funny. where that'll go? That's funny. Uh, so eventually, you're offered the the spot on the radio broadcasting team for the Jays. Uh, did you ever have any interest in that sort of thing? That's why I ask. Like maybe when you had retired, you thought maybe I can get back into it in a different role, kind of thing. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking broadcasting. What I did do is when I retired, I just came home and I actually started going back to school part time to University of Windsor because. I had only done one year of university at Central Michigan years ago, and I thought, you know, it's all just one of those little pieces of unfinished business I always wanted to take care of. So I thought I was kind of being home, being a stay-home dad, and my wife was working, and I thought he was working, and I was able to coach my kids' teams, and it was great. But I thought in my spare time, I could probably knock out courses part-time. So I did that. I enrolled the human kinetics program at the University of Windsor, oh, cool. and I had about three years of courses to take. 
and I started just by taking one course at a time and slowly then got into two and then three. So it's something I wanted to knock out. But while I was doing that, right when I retired, I had offers to coach and manage for different minor league teams. But really, that was the reason why I came home was to be home. I didn't want to do that anymore. So I turned those down. But the Detroit Tigers offered me to just come over and maybe help with batting practice, throw batting practice on occasion, come over just for home games. I didn't have to travel. So that was pretty intriguing. So I accepted it. And it was great because I just went over to Detroit at like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon for a night game and do the whole pregame in the batting cage and throw some batting practice if they needed. And I was usually coming home around 6 o'clock before the game. And it was great because I got to get back to my kids' games and practices back in Windsor. So I never really I, – I, I thought about staying in the game in that regard to perhaps work in the game professionally one day but I never really thought about the broadcasting angle. Mm-hmm. So that kind of came out of nowhere. I always thought maybe once the kids grow up and a little bit older and, and, and they're on off to college, that I could pursue something where if I did have to travel a little bit with baseball, it wouldn't be as bad. But I never really thought about the broadcasting angle. It kind of uh, came out of nowhere, and it's been wonderful. That's cool, man. That's very cool. Um, so was it tough at first at all? I mean, did you have any experience in that kind of thing? Obviously, you know the game, but... Uh, just being in the booth and like the technical part of it, uh, how yeah. did it come across at first? Yeah, I, I always I felt comfortable with my insight and knowledge of the game, but as you just mentioned, the the technical part of it, or I call them the broadcasting trick. Mm-hmm. And I had gone down our radio station had had offered me to come down to spring training and do a couple of games, and it was kind of an audition of sorts. And the first game I did with my partner Jerry Howard, who has since retired. We were doing a Blue Jays-Phillies game in Clearwater. The Blue Jays took batting practice at home in Dunedin because it's only about 10 minutes away. And we were literally down the right field line at Dunedin Stadium. And he basically gave me 20 to 30 minutes of, of exactly that, like the broadcasting tricks. I call it Jerry 101 <laughs> <laughs> because it was all about you know when to come in with your comments, how to keep them short, or when you can expand, or all those different things. And those were the things that I had no idea about on a broadcast. Right? I, yeah. I felt like I could talk baseball all day, but now you have to craft it in and out of announcements or in and out of advertisements and let him call the pitch and in between the play. So a lot of those things. And I uh, did the first game and felt pretty good. Um, very anxious, I'm sure. I'm sure I was talking a mile a minute if I were to listen back now. <laughs> but um, I did that game, and then I did the next day also and felt a little bit more comfortable even. And then I um, was contacted by my boss, the program director, and he wanted to meet me for dinner, and he offered me the job full-time after wow. a couple of games. Yeah, so it was crazy. It's cool, man. It's very cool. Um, and then eventually you ended up uh, on TV with Sports Central. Uh, Blue Jay Central not too long ago. Did you ever think that you would jump into that TV thing too, or even so quickly? Uh, you know, I did four years on the radio, and while I was doing those first four years on the radio, I filled in on TV broadcasts with Buck Martinez okay. whenever Pat Tabler stepped away or was on vacation. So I got a little bit of experience on the TV side, and I loved doing that. It was great. It was a lot of fun, and Buck was great to work with. And um, I always knew that I would always enjoy more work on the TV side if it became available. So when the job became available this past year, I just acquired to the uh, program director of the Central, the producer, and I just said, you know, and they knew I was always interested in more work on the TV side, so not sure what you're thinking, uh, you know, let me know what direction this may go. So they got back to me, and at that time, it was right after things had happened, and 
they were going to just kind of keep me posted. And it was the 1st of January that I got an email back, and they invited me to an audition. So it was, I think it was late January, maybe around the 20th, 25th of January, that I came to Toronto for the audition. And it was basically, we did like four or five segments of a show like we do now. And uh, apparently it went very well. I know they auditioned a lot of different people. I'm not sure how much experience other people had. But I know that my four years on radio and my limited filling in on TV helped me immensely in my audition. Um, I would have never, I don't think, been able to do it if I was just going in raw, having never broadcasted before. So the radio, all of the reps on the radio and experience on the radio, as well as the time filling in on TV, it was a perfect, perfect developmental place for doing what I do now on Blue Jay Central with Jamie. Cool, man. It's kind of like your um, playing career almost just kind of came in and happened. <laughs> the, the transition into it's just pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere, no question. Of course, yeah. the initial radio job did, and then this moving to TV full time. I mean, I didn't even know when I auditioned that I thought my audition went very well, but I still didn't know what direction they were going to go. So I thought maybe they were going to hire like a few different guys, and all of us just be like part time, and I would yeah. keep my radio job. But um, then I was uh, got the big phone call and was offered the TV job full time. Jamie Campbell on Blue Jay Central. It's wicked, man. Yeah. And, um, as I know, your kids are involved in the sport, too. I'm sure that's something they've always dreamed of. Uh, probably very rewarding to see what Brett's doing now, too, right? Yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were kind of a baseball-hockey household. <laughs> all of our kids played baseball in the summer and yeah. hockey in the winter. And, of course, they played all the sports in grade school. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to follow. Um, I, you know, Coaching them all as kids, and my wife coached them a little bit, too. So we were very involved, which was a lot of fun. When we look back, those are very fun memories. And then, uh, you know, Mackenzie, our daughter, just finished her four years at UBC playing softball. So that, right. And that was just an awesome experience. And then, yeah, Brett getting drafted was pretty special because you just never know. He had a very good college career at Canisius College, but you just never know what teams are thinking. And mm-hmm. sure enough, he got drafted in the 13th round by the A's. And, um, of course, I know very well how the whole system works and, <laughs> and how difficult this game is, especially at the professional level, when now you start playing with the very best in the world. And um, he's experiencing that right now. He had a good couple of years, had a very good year last year in, in high A in Stockton, California. And this year he's in double A and it's not going so well. So he's continuing to work at that and and finding the, the next level. That double A level, I always thought, was a big jump, probably the biggest jump in the minor league. And he's having trouble with that right now. So hopefully he can keep working at it. But there's one thing I think he possesses, and that's a, a good mental outlook. And you have to have that as a baseball player, as a hitter, because there's just so much failure in the game. And if there's one thing I I try to impart on him over the years, it's that. And I think he's done very well with that. So you try not to take the 0 for 4 with you the next day, and and it's tough. I see it every day with major leaguers making millions of dollars. Some guys just can't handle that mental stress of of getting being in a batting slump. But I think, I think he's handling it well, continuing to try to adjust and adapt and, and get better, and that's all you can do. The one thing you don't want to do is just keep doing the same thing wrong over and over again. You have to continue to adjust as hitters. Greatest hitters in this game continue to tweak their, their batting styles and stances, so he's been continually trying to do that. It's a learning experience as it goes on, of course, right? It sure is, and I think, too, pitching. and The game has really changed over the years. We see it on the big league level. But it's happening even at the minor league level. Uh, pitchers are throwing harder than ever before. And I think more importantly, you're seeing more and more pitchers avoiding the fastball. 
despite the high velocities in the game, they're spinning the baseball more, a lot more breaking balls, sliders and curveballs. Um, some of the highly analytical teams in the game, the Yankees, the Astros, you're seeing them, they're almost throwing less than 50% fastballs now. So hitting has become very difficult. And then, of course, there are the defensive shifts in the game that are just very difficult on hitters. And I know a lot of people say, just hit it the other way. Well, <laughs> it's not always that easy, um, especially when you're seeing a lot of pitches. I mean, I remember when I played, when the cat was one oh two oh, I called a fastball away. You tried to paint the outside corner of the knees, but now they're throwing like one oh curveballs, two oh changeups, and normally fastball count. You're not getting fastballs a whole lot anymore. So hitting, I think, is as difficult as it has ever been in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Well, the game has to evolve, just like everything else, right? I think so, and I don't know if hitters are going to be able to evolve to that because. It's so difficult. you got guys throwing 94, 96 miles per hour with a tough slider, yet you used to be able to count on that fastball in certain counts. Now you can't do that. So it's, it's very difficult. And I see big league hitters shaking their heads every day here. I talk to Blue Jays hitters on a daily basis. And uh, some of the best in the game, Josh Donaldson, they'll tell me that, yeah, it's tough. These guys, the, the bullpens, you're not seeing starting pitchers a whole lot. You know, you you used to see the starting pitcher three or four at-bats a game, but now you're lucky to see him a third time because teams are going to the bullpen much sooner. So analytics have really taken over the game, and yeah. uh, they're certainly helping teams win, but it, it has changed the game. Very true, very true. Uh, to begin to wrap things up, it's kind of a cliche question, but uh, as a, a quote-unquote broadcaster myself, got to ask you, what is your favorite part about your job? favorite part about my job probably is that it's not work it's fun <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's what you said you know uh, making your uh, uh your passion into into your work is it really is i mean i i love the game of baseball i love talking baseball i love watching baseball and now i'm doing it for a living it, it's almost comical so no that's that's probably the best part uh, going to work every day when the blue jays are at home we have a sports that has a set right inside the stadium so it gives you the opportunity to go down and see the players and coaches. And that's when I was doing my four years on um, radio and filling in on TV. I traveled with the team. I was on the team charters and in the team hotels with them. So you've seen these guys every day. And it's nice to kind of develop relationships with players because you love to bounce things off of them, ask them questions, ask them what they were thinking in a certain situation and a certain count, what pitch they were looking for, different things like that. So, it's great to get that insight right from them because oftentimes I, I know what I believe or what I was thinking. Sometimes I will ask them to confirm maybe what I was thinking or sometimes I was wrong what they were thinking. That's why I'm very careful sometimes even as an analyst to say that he was thinking this. Well, how do you know what somebody else is thinking? There's no way, right? So my favorite part of the job is the fact that it's fun. I get to talk to players and coaches every day and, and continue to hear about the things going on down on the field because I remember as a player how difficult that game is on the field and it's very difficult and I think sometimes when you step back as a broadcaster it looks a lot easier much like everybody watching at home on TV how hitting does look really easy on TV that's one thing I've really noticed <laughs> mm-hmm. but absolutely best part of the job is it is absolutely fun it's awesome man thank you so much for taking the time to do this Joe I, I incredibly appreciate it it's been awesome no problem
Okay, I'm Drake Demore, and you're listening to Wind City Sports, which is only local sports radio program and podcast. Thank you for downloading or streaming the podcast version of episode 103 of Wind City Sports. We just heard from Sidzy, Joey Siddle, Toronto Blue Jays analyst at BJ Central, former broadcaster and play-by-play host on the radio, and obviously former Detroit Tiger from right here in Windsor, Ontario. Over the last couple of weeks, we missed a lot of news here on Wind City Sports. I was gone on vacation in Italy. We're going to catch up with a few things and uh, obviously talk about what's upcoming in the near future in regards to games and events. Uh, kicking things off with our St. Clair Green Giants baseball team. They split a pair of games on the weekend at the Cost Park against the Lake Erie Monarchs. And on Saturday, the Green Giants pulled off a 9-8 win, tied at 8-8 in the bottom of the eighth inning. Kevin Dean walked away with one out and eventually came around to scoring the winning run after three wild pitches. On Sunday, St. Clair lost 11-7 to to the Monarch with Tecumseh's Gibson, Krasemski, and Rodrigo Duluc each driving in a pair of runs for the Green Giants. Brady Dorn led the Green Giants offense with three hits and drove in a pair of runs. Gavin Homer, Harrison Jones, and David Cole each chipped in with two hits. They had some uh, away games on Tuesday and Wednesday at the time. And speaking, I don't have the results of them, but the next home games are actually today through Sunday. Uh, doubleheader with the Grand Lake Mariners tonight and tomorrow. And then the Ohio Copperheads come to town on Saturday and Sunday. All games are at Lacoste Park. Check their website for more info. Kingsville native Dalton Proud has signed a one-year, one-way deal for $800,000 with the NHL's Calgary Flames. 28-year-old played four games with the New Jersey Devils last season. He was dealt to Calgary for goalie Eddie Lack and appeared in 34 games for the AHL's Stockton team, which is Calgary's farm team. The 6'3", 230-pounder defenseman has been training with coach Cedric Ben in Windsor, fine-tuning some cross-training with boxing. Hear that story on episode 100 of Windsor Sports and Democrats. Windsor's Jacob Robson one of the four members of the Class AA Erie Seawolves to be named to the Eastern League's All-Star Game, which is set for July 12th. The question is now if Robson will be back in Erie for the game. Just prior to the announcement, the 23-year-old was promoted to Class AAA with the Toledo Mudhens, which is the top farm team of the Detroit Tigers. Robson is off to a sizzling start in his first three games in Toledo. Heading into Monday's game, he was battling, sorry, batting a 0.500, with a 0.583 on base percentage. Two home runs, three runs driven in a log with two stolen bases. So pretty impressive in his uh, minor leagues right now. So who knows, maybe one day he'll end up on the Detroit Tigers, just like Joe Siddle across the street from his hometown. The Windsor Rogues rugby team are visiting Fergus Highland again this weekend for two games on their turf. Their next and last home game of the regular season is next weekend, July 14th. At AKO Park, they will be taking on the Hamilton Hornets, men's B division at 1.30 p.m. and A division at 3 p.m. Finally, our Windsor Clippers, uh, going back just a little bit while we were gone, they forced Game 5 in the Ontario Lacrosse Association Junior B playoffs as they took on the Orangeville Northmen last week after an overtime win in Game 4. Uh, first series is best of five. The third seeded 
Clippers rallied from a four-goal deficit in the opening period to score a 10-9 win on the road over the six-seeded Northmen. With that, the best-of-five Western Conference quarterfinal series was tied at 2-2. The fifth and deciding game was Tuesday at Forest Glade Arena, and in that game, the Clippers lost decisively 10-5. The Northmen took the series and moved on to the semifinals. After one hell of a season, they, they met their fate fairly quickly in the playoffs. Uh, the league is stacked this year. After the Clippers only lost three games in regular season play, they only finished third in the league or in their division. Uh, although their future is still promising for the foreseeable future with Braden Maillet and other standouts, Noah Bushnell and Chase Cavanaugh are two standouts who are moving on from the junior ranks this year, among others. So that's going to be all for this week on Win City Sports. New episodes drop every Thursday live on CJM FM in Windsor and Detroit, 99.1 FM. And the podcast airs immediately on every single podcast platform you can possibly think of, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, and much more. We also have a YouTube channel. We'll be able to uh, hear this interview with Joe Siddle in a few moments as well. We're going to be dropping that at 9 o'clock tonight. But to go back and listen to some old interviews, as talked about with uh, Coach Cedric Ben talking about training Zach Cassie and Dalton Prout. Uh, just simply search up One City Sports on Google or any podcast app or site that you may use, and we should be on there and easily accessible. We also have a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram account, as well as our new YouTube channel. Give us a follow, subscribe, like, whatever it may be. Just simply search up Wind City Sports, and you'll easily be able to find us. We'll be back here next week on the radio and on the podcast with Windsor Lancer's newest coach and coordinator, Coach Matt Nisbet. So until then, smell you later.